0: Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, host and moderator of Long in the Tooth. This is a podcast primarily for late career dentists who are interested in doing a great job with their practices currently and also in planning for a transition of their practices to new ownership in the future. Our vision for the podcast is to be an educational format, not salesy at all. If you have been directed to join this podcast by a member of the dental industry in the United States, please thank them. This is going to benefit you. These are educational presentations that will hopefully help your profitability, your peace of mind, and your planning for the future as you are considering transitioning your practice to new ownership. Hi, this is Bob Brooks with Long in the Tooth we're pleased to have you with us for our final session here with Larry Chatterley retired from CTC Associates and Larry welcome welcome thank you Bob well our first question today Larry is should I employ a professional to assist me in the sale of my practice
1: I feel that's uh, definitely affirmative <laughs> <laughs> mainly because I think that helps mitigate some problems. When when you're hiring a professional, just like any professional, uh, whether it's an accountant or attorney, you're hiring someone to help navigate a a field that uh, could be fraught with some serious problems if it's not done correctly, and that could cost you a lot of time and money. Um, And so hiring a a competent advisor, a practice broker, or a consultant that that uh, specializing this is really, in my opinion, helps enhance the process and uh, should make it smoother for anybody trying to transition their practice.
0: Good. Well, then, uh, with assistance that a practice owner may have in the in their project, who should they call? Uh, call their lawyer, accountant, a financial planner, or the dental supply person, uh, and what kind of guidance will they need?
1: That's a good question. I would say one of the first things they might want to do is meet with their financial advisor just to see if they can afford to do a transition. Kind of uh, take a financial litmus test, I would say, to make sure that whatever they decide to do, they can financially afford to do it. And then I would say the next person in line would be right up there as a practice broker to help them guide them, at least, uh, come up with a valuation that they feel comfortable and then, um, uh, circle back with a financial planner to make sure that that's in sync with their expect, what they were expecting to get out of the practice, uh, and to meet their financial needs. But once I think the practice broken also can answer some other key questions about the timing, when, and where, and in the process and, uh, Helping them get navigate through the transitional process as smooth as possible. Then, as the process unfolds, I, the accountant definitely needs to be part of that, and also well as the attorney, to, uh, to address the you know their specialty and to bring in their input in the in the transition process. I, I would uh, if well, I was it's key, some key questions I would ask a practice broker if I was going to hire them. I'd I'd want to know about their background, uh, what they've done. I would like to know references, uh, not only the last five, but maybe five from two or three years ago. Um, and I would so I would ask them how they do the transitional business. Are they uh, do they charge a percentage, a flat rate? Is it an hourly rate or a combination? Um, I would say most of the brokers charge a percentage. I would ask them if they do uh, represent the buyer, dual representation. Uh, there are some. Uh, brokers out there that do that. And, and consequently, I think that creates a compromise in the ethics of making a nice transition when they do it that way. Um, and so, uh, I, I think that they need to check that their sources. What I find a lot of sellers when they get references is they get references from other sellers. But if I was a seller, I'd want some references from the buyer that tells me a lot about the character of the transition and how it was handled. Versus just always getting the seller side of the equation, because many sellers get their paycheck and right off in the sunset. So sure, they feel pretty good about it. But how the deal was handled, a lot of valuable feedback can come from how the buyer, how they felt the process went. So getting the right team players involved well, is um, can help you have a very uh, more enjoyable and less stressed experience. And uh, if you hire someone that uh, you haven't checked out and don't feel comfortable with it, that could be a, could create a serious problem in the transition of your practice.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that. I might just add a little bit uh, to that. And as a uh, licensed real estate broker, I have the opportunity to sell real property, which I don't unless it's dental royalty associated with practice sales. But I've shared with practice owners before if I had the opportunity to uh, list and sell a restaurant, for example, that we may be sitting in, that's all theoretical, and a buyer came up to me that wanted to purchase the restaurant that I had listed for sale, and I said, well, I can't share your information with you about this restaurant until you sign a dual representation agreement, then actually that would be, uh, uh, I, that would cause me to lose my real estate license uh, it may be considered a fourth-degree felony, and it's considered unethical, and I could receive an, a fine up to a thousand dollars per day uh, for that type of activity requiring a buyer to sign a, a dual representation agreement. So that's how it's viewed in real estate, and uh, I know you had just made a statement that uh, you didn't think that dual representation was uh, um, necessarily a good idea, and in some cases viewed as unethical. So. I think that practice owners need to be aware of that
1: to add on to that bob as i would all say make sure you read carefully the listing agreement uh sometimes there are some things in that agreement have come back to haunt the seller that wasn't it was in writing but they never read it and um part of that believe it or not is the dual representation it was in writing but it wasn't verbally disclosed so at least that's what some people have told me sometimes in some cases but there's some other caveats in there We've had where listings where um, that if the at the end of the listing period, if some reason uh, the seller didn't talk to the broker, the broker didn't talk to the seller, it automatically renewed for another year. And uh, and I know in some cases the brokers wouldn't let the seller out of it, but just depends on the situation. But there there's some things that you should read, to make sure that you're comfortable with when going forward
0: yeah I think it's always a good idea for uh, you know legal counsel to be used uh, to read over documents that need to be reviewed to make sure that uh, everybody's got a clear understanding of what's going on so if uh if I'm a practice owner and I need a professional to guide me, how much will it cost me to sell the practice
1: well i I guess the question is how much would it cost you not to hire them <laughs> <laughs> You know, hopefully they max, hopefully they add value to the process that makes it worth it. It, you know, I would, the the percentages vary based on uh, areas in the country, but typically I've seen 10%. Sometimes those percentages are changed downward if the practice is a lot larger. Um, But anyway, it's a fee for performance. I know some sellers have been reluctant to pay a percentage, but... The the same time the buyer's taken I mean the broker's taking the risk of if he doesn't if he puts all the time in he may not get paid so um, I've had some people say well why don't I just pay you an hourly rate I said sure I get paid regardless of whether the transition closes or not I said do you want to take that risk if I put in fifty hours at so many dollars per hour then a lot of times the seller goes, well, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. And I said, well, then that's why most brokers do a fee for performance because then they, it's true, they probably get paid, paid a little bit more, obviously more money than a flat rate or an hourly rate, but at the flip side, they take the risk of spending all that energy and time to make sure it comes to fruition on a timely basis. So uh, here again, read the listing, see how it works out. Uh, check that out. Check the references out. And... Um, and if you do your homework, I, I, I'm, and I'm sure that it would turn out very well as, as long as the, both parties are on the same page. Now, one issue
0: that's related to, uh, you know, having a professional assistant in the sale of practice would be the un- unfortunate situation where uh, a practitioner has an unexpected uh, uh, disability occurs or if they should die before a practice is sold. And then it would be particularly good for a spouse to be connected with uh, the advisors that have been established uh, in advance. Maybe you could speak to that, Larry.
1: Yeah, that's been an unfortunate circumstances where we've had—I don't know how many, maybe a dozen so—where the seller passed away just before closing, <laughs> mm. and um, it was a—it was kind of an awkward situation. But one of the things that uh, that uh, sellers are paying the broker is usually the the fact that they have a network of buyers and or network of doctors that can pitch it until the practice is sold uh the people we call them local tenant dentists where they come in we 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 suggest people that come in not be the ones just down the street because patients will kind of gravitate that way Um, but some dentist that's kind of outside the area to come in and keep it going until a buyer is found Um, Depending on where you are in the transition process, if you're just starting to plan this and you're a few years away, some people will add a codicil to their will, which states that the practice broker can immediately get on top of this as soon as possible because with a severe disability and or death, the perceived value drops quite a bit in a short period of time. So time is of the essence to get someone in there to keep it going. Sometimes we've been able to bring an associate in that ends up buying the practice um if we can bring someone in in a timely fashion um, so yeah there there is a checklist for estate sales that we have there um and we can we can get you that article that you can put in your file if you want that for your for your spouse.
0: great. Larry, I think that's tu- we've touched on all the items we had for this topic today on Transition Advisors. So thanks once again for your help and um, appreciate all the exper- wealth of experience that you have brought uh, as your time uh, with uh, CTC Associates. And if you could just remind us again uh, what states uh, CTC Associates serves, that would be great.
1: Uh, we serve Idaho, Utah, uh, Colorado, and New Mexico.
0: Wonderful, Larry. Thanks again for being with us. And uh, uh, if uh, any of our listeners have uh, questions, uh, would be interested in the resources that we have, they can email us through our uh, website at uh, longinthetooth.info. or they can uh, they can email us through uh, office at longonthetooth.info. So uh, thanks again for joining us today, and we'll hopefully connect with you next time.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.